Welcome to the RISE Podcast. This show, Levies and Legacies. Sea level rise. We hear about it more and more. It's described like a looming disaster movie in slow motion. Climate change is causing the seas to rise. But what will this mean for all the cities, towns, villages, farms along the world's coastlines? It may mean a big change. Families forced to move off their land, communities broken apart. A way of life erased like footprints on the beach. Are we willing to face this reality? So far, not many of us. As the seas rise along the coast of San Francisco, the waters within the San Francisco Bay are rising as well, of course, affecting seven million people who live and work in cities ringing the bay. And while many of us do understand what's coming, there are countless reasons why we want to ignore it. Why are we turning our backs on the rising tides that threaten our coasts? Steve Mello's family has been farming in the Delta for three generations. His son is being raised as the fourth. The Delta is an extension of the San Francisco Bay, where the waters from the Sierra Mountains to the east and the ocean tides from the west mingle. But the waters from both river and tides are lapping at the levees, protecting Steve's land. Hey, you copy? Yeah. How's progress? You get the uh, digger fixed yet or no? I'm just about done with the first digger. All right. Uh, I'm going to be there in a minute and a half, two minutes. We're going to go check on my son's progress on fixing a crack in the frame of a trenching machine. And that's what's on tap for right now. That's Steve Mello. I'm Steve Mello. I'm a farmer here in Sacramento County, California. Uh, this is Tyler Island. that is comprised of uh, 8,500 acres of cropland. On this island, you have grapes, cherries, pears, alfalfa, asparagus, potatoes, corn, tomatoes, both fresh and cannery. In places like Tyler Island, you cannot ignore the fact that conditions are changing. And who's that? Okay, so who am I? Uh, real quickly, my name is Jeff Mount, Dr. Jeffrey Mount. I'm a professor here at University of California, Davis, and I'm the founding director of the Center for Watershed Sciences here on campus. Jeff Mount worries that the levees protecting Tyler Island will wash away with rising sea levels brought on by climate change. The likelihood of Tyler Island and Staten Island and Brandon Island and all those islands in that area, the probability of failure is steadily going up every year. The environmentalists that say that the Delta is not sustainable long term are full of hooey. Tyler Island will fail at least once in the next 50 years. Nine in 10 probability in the next 50 years, Tyler Island will fail. I don't believe that Tyler Island will flood for 100 years. The farmer and the scientist see this same land from two very different perspectives. Uh, what you're seeing is uh, field corn. We're looking at corn, corn, and more corn. We're in the conference room in the Center for Watershed Sciences. We are not in the delta, but if we stand on top of the building, we can see the delta from here. This is Gary, who came back to the ranch after being away for a few years in the construction thing. Young Gary Mello, Steve's pride and joy. 
Steve met up with Gary at the shop, where his son is repairing one of the big trenching machines. Looks like you've got it fairly well gusseted up. So why don't you stay here for a minute? Let me get in there. So in I case can... I need you to hand me anything. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Yeah, when you're welding, you have all the sparks going everywhere. And they lodge somewhere and start a little start a little fire and you, you start feeling, boy, something feels hot. And then, boy, when you find out you're on fire, you should see people move. You whipped through that hole? Yeah. <laughs> I told you, I used to go through, what was it, 14-inch hey, pipes? I used to go through a hole like that, too. My hips have gotten quite a bit wider since then. <laughs> That's life in the Delta, from a farmer's view. Jeff Mount sees the land in a broader context. So where is the Delta in California? Well, you'd be amazed how many people haven't a clue, including the people of San Francisco. It's flanked on the east by the Sierra Nevada, and, and all of that runoff from the west slope of the Sierra Nevada has gathered into the Sacramento River on the north and the San Joaquin River on the south. Where those two rivers come together, that's the Delta. And in that area, tremendous maze of islands and, 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 and levees and marshes. Then all that water in the delta eventually moves to the west and into San Francisco Bay. So that's, that's what the delta really is. In order to farm, we put up the levees. They put up the levees. I was a little young for that. They then drained the land so they could plant their crops. And in the process of draining the land, they oxidized their soils. The land started lowering. So today, all your islands are basically holes in the ground surrounded by levees. In the central delta, some are as much as 30 feet below sea level. It's those levees running between the river channels and the sunken farmland that protect delta islands like Tyler from flooding, most of the time. We are on a levee that uh, is uh, holding back the McCombney River from inundating the land. On the right, there is farmland that is lower than the levee. And on the left, I see water that is also way lower than the levee. You have 1,100 miles of levees. All of those levees are on pre-rotten foundations. They just plopped dirt on top of what was there. We maintain the levees much differently than the old timers did. And delta levees can be raised uh, over a period of time. If you live behind a levee, you are at risk of flooding because there's two kinds of levees those that have failed and those that will fail. And they fail in a couple of ways. One is overtopping uh, during, the, during the winter here when you have high tides and high inflows. The second way is that water actually erodes the levee from the inside out. But finally, I want to tell you the most diabolical and difficult way levees fail um, is beavers. But the delta is not as fragile as people would have, have you believe. They slip, they slump, they get holes in them rodents burrow in them, and you got 1,100 miles of them. We in the Delta have built our levees up higher than they were before to broader than they were before. It's not like levee failures are uh, rare events in this system. They've failed 144 times in the last 100 years. So, you know, on average, about one a year. But it doesn't work that way. Levees fail in this system in clusters. I like to call them cluster floods. <laughs> I'm sure you won't repeat that. <laughs> the people that are saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, I don't worry about what they say because we can handle most anything nature can throw at us. Let me put it this way, that all the things we're fighting about today are worse under climate change. Increasing winter floods and rising sea level are increasing the risk.
The risk from climate change is not only to the Delta levees, but also to an entire way of life. The Mello family is part of a farming community with roots in this land that go back generations. My grandparents came from Portugal with the shirts on their back. And while my dad only had an eighth grade education, he was a very, very smart man and a very hard worker. My dad basically built the company, uh, Mellow Farms, call it the Mellow Ranch. It was his ranch, he bought it, he could name it what he wanted. Oh, yoo-hoo. This is Ann, my nice better to half. Meet you. I'm gonna wash up and I'll start making you some sandwiches. What do you got? Turkey and roast beef and yeah, that's about it. And we have Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Diet Pepsi. And we I probably have, have some Pepsi. I have, have extras in there too. And we have plenty of ice. Steve and Ann grew up as neighbors. I used to ride my bike from over there across these fields and go to his house to, to play with his sister. You know, I've always hunted and fished. You know, you ride bicycles, you do the simple things. You take a walk. Yeah. Right by my mom and dad's place, right there, the river tracks there, we'd go up there, we'd jump off of them. You'd go on the end of it and you could jump into the river from there. Even though we weren't supposed to be doing that when we did it anyway. When we get in trouble There's all the no time. There's no way in heck that I was jumping off that bridge. <laughs> we got in really a lot of trouble when they found out where we were, what we were doing and where we were going. <laughs> The train would, would come on Sundays. There's no way I'd jump off that train. It would come Never every would Sunday, about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and there's always a hobo that would get off. It was most of the time, not always, but most of the time. Anne and Steve's childhood memories, shared over turkey sandwiches and Mountain Dew, begin to feel a bit like a Norman Rockwell painting. My grandma lived there. She would leave out some homemade chicken soup and a in a glass jar, and they he would come and come and get it. But life on Tyler Island is not always a picture of tranquility. The flood of 1986 ripped open Tyler Island's levees and ripped apart the lives of its residents. The North Fork of the McColumney River rose in 1986 and caused this island to flood for the first time since 1906. And as the levee broke, the water actually came over the top of the levee, so you can imagine the force of the water when it's falling 15 to 18 feet into the island. It is spectacular when levee fails because the levee will unzip, it'll open up to the size of a football field uh, as the water flows through it. It looked like a roaring tumult of the biggest waterfall that you've ever seen. The velocity of the water is so high, it'll scour a hole inside the island, 30, 40, 50 feet deep, and chunks, literally chunks of the peat will be hurled out into the island. It's, it's really spectacular to see. Way back at that time, we had a Motorola radio system, and I heard that we lost it. The island's gone. And when I came the next day, the next morning, uh, my house was not visible. The water was over the top of it. And it wiped out the uh, most of the uh, lower-lying uh, uh, buildings. You could see the tops of the grain bins. Uh, we lost 5,000 ton of grain storage, three sheds, equipment sheds, and a shop. 
You brought me out here finally to see everything. Oh, yeah. It was kind of traumatic. And she was pregnant. It was scary. It upset me. Everything was floating around. Water everywhere. Garbage. I said, there's our bathroom wall at another yard. And people at work kept asking me, you went back there? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you afraid? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't just think about that. You have to just go on. Flooding has always been a risk for Delta farmers, and the big flood of 86 makes for a thrilling tale. But Jeff Mount says that climate change is now a game changer. A lot has changed since 1986. There's two drivers, climate drivers of change in this system. Um, one is coming in from the Sacramento River and the San Joaquin River. We are seeing a shift in the ratio of rain to snow. So floods are getting bigger. The second aspect is sea level rise. You start getting an increase in the frequency and intensity of extreme high tides. And it's those high tides that do in levees in this system. And we think we can actually see that in the record now. And that's having an effect on the delta. Sea level rise is not going to happen all at once. It's going to happen incrementally. And there is plenty of time to go ahead and continue to bolterous the levees. The levees are sustainable. People in the delta, they fail to consider that the past is not a predictor of the future. It's going to be different tomorrow. And that tomorrow is going to be, it's going to be a lot tougher to hold those levees together. The safety of this island has never been in such good shape as it is right here and now. What we, the scientific community, are saying is that your risk is increasing every year. We did all this risk analysis, and in the end, we stepped back and we said, if we go on with business as usual, you know, a little Band-Aid here, raise a little levy here, um, within 50 years, at least half of these islands will have failed. Statistics can be used a lot of different ways. Okay, let's do a study, and if that study finds what you didn't want to know, then you just suppress it and fund another study until you get somebody that will tell you what you want to hear. All levees fail, okay? All levees do is they reduce the frequency of flooding. They don't prevent flooding. There is no, flood control may be the ultimate oxymoron. The moron's oxymoron. Those are fighting words. Steve Mello thinks outsiders armed with their statistics can't see the reality of his world. But Steve's perspective is also colored by his need to support his family and other families as well. Roberto is in the process of cleaning out the bottoms of the ditches. We'll stop here and check with him and see what's cooking. Para ahorita trabajar donde de bajalado en seis. Sí. Porque aquí es muy diferencia. On los dos lados es abril y en el centro es the dams and cutarounds. So. Sí. Bueno. Está bien. Gracias. Andale. We work many hours, and it's hard. It's hot under the sun, and the temperature, there are days when the temperature is up to 95 degrees. And one has to be able to stand being in the sun. Roberto, he lives in ranch housing while he's here, and then when the season is done, he goes back to Mexico to be with his family, but he sends most of his money home. Very frugal, frugal person and a uh, very hard worker. My name is Roberto Guzman. I'm here for three years, two years, sometimes one year at a time. 
I must go to see my family in Mexico. There the situation is very difficult. The money you earn is not enough, so I send money to Mexico, so my family there can eat. <laughs> it's very difficult for us, poor people, but there isn't any alternative. We don't have any choice. The situation in Mexico is difficult. That's life. Repercussions are not only for me and my family, but my men and their families and their extended families as well. So lives, livelihoods, lifestyles are all at stake here. But whose responsibility is it to protect all of this? If we're going to go in and fix every one of these, we're looking at billions of dollars over time. And so there's a new policy by the state that says we're going to selectively sink our resources into protecting the important infrastructure first and the islands, which have high economic value. They talk about prioritizing uh, what districts would be allowed to expend public monies and what districts would not. But there is uh, inherent dangers wherever you live in the world. Somewhere between a quarter and a third of the islands of the Delta, it makes no economic sense to repair them. If there's an earthquake in San Francisco and everybody's house falls down, the Bay Bridge falls down, why should I pay for it? If L.A. Uh, has a big wildfire, well, why should I care? It's okay to walk away from a field, but you don't walk away from a city. Downtown, I mean, San Francisco, the value of the land is so high, it's worth it to build big dikes and protect them. We're not an empty slate out here. You know, there is a, a, a vibrant economy. This is privately owned property that's still on the tax roll, still uh, basically contributing to the local economy. Tyler's one of those that falls on the edge. It's, it's producing good crops, but it is considered at reasonably high risk of, of flooding. One doesn't want to be the island god, but you know, I'm bibbling about Tyler. Jeff Mount has got a PhD. He could say whatever he wants to say. I, I don't believe Jeff Mount understands the Delta. I don't believe Jeff Mount has spent enough time in the Delta. Putting a price on a family's history and heritage is not so simple. My father literally worked a lifetime to create a legacy, to pass on to their offspring and future generations. And uh, I've continued in his footprint. And I am trying to build upon and pass the legacy down to my son. And I completely understand why people love living down there. I, I, I get it, I completely get it. But that said, the state is not necessarily in the business of supporting people's lifestyles. The battle of farming is staying in business, right? Staying in business, making money, raising your family, moving forward. But at the state level, you have to make decisions that are best for the state of California. There's two sides to the story. You need to take everything with a grain of salt, including what I say. But I tell you what, what I'm doing is protecting the ranch. You will never get consensus. And there will be winners and there will be losers, and somebody has to have the political fortitude to say, this is the way it's going to be, and we're going to try and compensate the losers until um, you move on. Levies and Legacies was produced and directed by Claire Schoen. Associate producer and editor, Erica Moo. Original music by Jonathan Mitchell. Special thanks to Jan Sturman, Stephen Most, and Scott Kuei. 
To hear all the stories in the RISE series, please visit us online at crise.org. I'm Claire Schoen.